Hello and welcome to the Health in Focus with Jacobus podcast. I'm your host, Jacobus Hollowein. The purpose of the show is to talk about health, healing and healthy lifestyles in a format that is down to earth and pretty easy to comprehend. Most shows will be conversations with experts in the field. However, sometimes I will do a podcast on my own tackling other topics that interest me. The focus is on information, education, and even some entertainment. It's not a program where we diagnose, treat, or cure any diseases. In case this podcast and topic tickle your interest, please continue your own research by discussing it with a preferred medical professional, by reading books on the topic, or by doing more research on the internet. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and that you will become a follower for more show updates. Also, please sign up at my website, healthinfocusnow.com and receive updates on podcasts and articles. Thank you so much. Let's talk about our guest today. Deb Wheaton is president and co-founder of Gluten-Free Prairie. Go on the web and find glutenfreeprairie.com. Gluten-Free Prairie is a woman-owned, family-operated, certified, gluten-free, oat-based business located in Manhattan, Montana. They like to call it the Little Apple. Deb, great to have you with us. Well, thank you. I'm yeah. thrilled to be here. Yeah, thank it's you. So we know each other for years, and to just have you sit down with me and, and talk about your life, because it started a long time ago. <laughs> Let's yes. call it that way. That's a nice way to say it. Yeah, and and but you have taken, you've grabbed the lemons and made lemonade out of it, mm-hmm. and uh, are helping so many other people. So, feel free to tell us a little bit before we really go and what is celiac. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and how this all came about. Okay. Um, well, thank you, thank you, and I, I I love being here with you again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I would I would say um, I will I will start sort of at the at the end of a of, of part of my journey when I realized that celiac was a t- the diagnosis of celiac disease was a complete blessing, absolute blessing in my life. Backing up. I had symptoms from the time that I was a kid, and we can talk about that, and a lot of people do. And I'm going to jump around a little bit, and then we'll no, kind of circle right. in. And um, my passion my, and my my journey brought me to Montana, brought me to be blessed to meet some gluten-free f- oat farmers, plant pathologists uh, who has celiac disease from uh, at MSU, mm-hmm. who convinced me how I could lead a more healthy diet, and that was by bringing certified gluten-free oats into my diet purity protocol, and I built my business around it. Yeah. And But my passion has remained to raise awareness mm-hmm. and to, can, to hopefully contributing to early diagnosis. That is, it's so, so incredibly important. And I brought information with me today just to kind of, to talk about how important early diagnosis is and to recognize the symptoms mm-hmm. of celiac disease and that for the most part, we're talking about the only disease on the planet completely controlled by diet. I see. Now, some people continue to have symptoms even on a complete gluten-free diet, mm-hmm. and there are other gut-related things. Mm-hmm. But I would say the majority, and oh, I should say this, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a rocket scientist or an astronaut. Mm-hmm. I'm a passionate advocate for raising awareness toward early diagnosis of celiac disease. Mm-hmm. Now, you were diagnosed, let's call it that way, in 2005. Yes. With your daughter, Amy. How did that come about? 
So my daughter, who was in her early 20s at that point, started dramatically losing weight mm -hmm. and she became anemic. She just, uh, she is my size and so I'm 5'5 five, five, and she was like 80 pounds. Oh, she wow. was in and out of the emergency room um, with just, um, she couldn't keep any food down between the um, both ends basically, yeah. you know, nothing. And then, so... And that, um, that really came all of a sudden. You never saw that really when you yes. were growing up that she had issues, digestive issues, to the point where you say there's a panic button here. There was no panic button as a child. Huh. Looking back, and a lot of celiacs do this, we connect the dots backwards, and then we see family members, or because there's a very strong genetic link, or then we see, um, or we see symptoms. So maybe she had a little bit, just like I had a few symptoms, mm -hmm. but we can mention that. But let's finish her story, but take me back. Okay. To how the, the turning on the gene works, because yeah, that's important. Yeah, yeah. So she was in and out of the emergency room, mm -hmm. and then diagnosis came like, well, you must be a drug addict. Maybe you're depressed. Her, maybe you're, her, her, she her, was. Yes. Oh, wow. Maybe, maybe you're anorexic. They, and, you know, and go into therapy, and there's a pill for that, you know, for those sorts of things. Right. But that was not my daughter. I knew that was not my daughter by blessing. Yeah. She ended up in the emergency room where my husband was on um, was on staff okay. in Pasadena, California. And a gastroenterologist was on call that night. Mm. And he said, it makes me emotional. Mm. He said, have you been tested for celiac disease? Yeah. Well, what's that? Well, you know, it has to do with an intolerance to gluten. Gluten? What's gluten? Gleaming glutton, like a glutton, you mm. know, what... Mm -hmm. Let's test you for celiac disease. Two days later, because she had to do the prep, because the gold standard is colonoscopy endoscopy. So you have to do the... Uh, colonoscopy and endoscopy. Endoscopy right? is the gold okay. standard for, um, for diagnosis. Okay. Still remains to this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was the diagnosis. They said her small intestine looked like she'd been in a concentration camp. Oh, my goodness. That was the, what the doctor said. Oh. It, that she, um, the malabsorption of nutrients, because the villi in her small intestine was like a bowling ball. Mm. Because the the way... They, the, had sh they had almost shaved off so much that it looked like a solid uh, bowling ball. They had atrophied. Uh. Because as you know, how the, the, so the small intestine looks like little wavy... Like uh, like little grasses in the in the ocean yeah, waving, yeah, 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 and that's yeah. where the so when as you start to digest your food, the, then the nutrients they go into those little like finger waving things, right. and then absorbs. So that is the function of the small intestine, mm -hmm. and that uh, if with a celiac disease, the autoimmune that where your body thinks where it's attacking itself, mm -hmm. it it attacks the small intestine. And those villi atrophy, and there's no absorption of nutrients. Mm -hmm. That was it. And the villi itself have gazillions almost absorbable holes in them. And so the food needs to go through there. And by them waving around, that food has a way to work its way with the good bacteria in the intestines to penetrate through these microscopic holes. And if they're laying flat... 
if they're damaged, if they're glued together, whatever it is with celiac disorder, you just lose. And it's a disease. It is a disease. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We fought no, that. Good. We yeah. fought that yeah, the yeah, foundation yeah. is to have it, re- have it recognized as, as what it is. Yeah, right. And, mm-hmm. and so with celiac disease, the effect it has on the villi is that you're losing a huge percentage of the absorbable holes that food needs to go through. So you have total malabsorption. Yeah. Well, there, supposedly there's some absorption of nutrients in the mouth too, but like I said, I don't, that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. But I did try to dig into the, um, into, you know, what was going on with her. Mm-hmm. And then, so we had an answer for her. And I, at that point said, oh my goodness, I've had these same symptoms. Wow. Like, like for, for years, but I, not to the degree, not to, to the to the degree that she had it all. Yeah. Um, so I was tested, and I came back positive. <laughs> and together, we embarked on a journey. <laughs> mm. Yeah. What a change. I mean, you get that message, and you walk out of the hospital, yeah. and you're probably hungry. You go, what are we going to eat? <laughs> Let's go to Mc... Oh, no. No, we can't do that, <laughs> yeah, because you can't even trust the burgers. You don't know what they put in oh, them, no. right? If you have celiac disease, then you cannot have any gluten-containing products touching your food at all. So for a time, we tried to uh, to have a shared kitchen at home Yeah. because my, my husband and our, and our other kids and everyone else in the family, no one was celiac or going gluten-free. So we tried to do a shared kitchen. It just got really cumbersome. Wow. I, and the little cookbook that I wrote, yeah. the, the co-wrote, the 500 Gluten-Free Recipes, yeah. mm-hmm. I do a whole introduction about how to live in a shared space, how to create your own gluten-free kitchen. I talk mm-hmm. all about that. That book is out of print now, mm-hmm. but I am happy to share that introduction with anyone who wants it. Okay. Because I really kind of go through a, how to simplify it and what's safe from cutting boards, you know, to utensils. What do you have to, cleaning your pantry, all of that. Yeah. So we did all of that. And my husband and our sons were so supportive. Yeah, they probably saw you both yeah. wasting away. It was amazing. Well, it was amazing how, yeah. I can also imagine that when your daughter went to the emergency room and some of these doctors who were not educated about this think that she probably is anorexic or bulimic, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Because you lose weight that quickly. There is probably a hidden factor here that needs to be addressed. Wow. And our family doctor, who was also her family doctor, the day after the emergency room doctor said, um, let's test you for celiac, mm-hmm. we talked to our family um, physician and she said, She's she's too young. I've never had a patient with that. I won't authorize that test. That was our so, family physician. Wow. So we just we just went around her. We we didn't need that, mm-hmm. you know, that um, acknowledgement or anything. Um, when I told her that Amy was absolutely diagnosed with celiac disease, and that I wanted to be tested. She said, well, you know, you are going into menopause, I think. And if you're having any of those symptoms, it's probably menopause. Yeah. I found a new doctor and I got tested for celiac disease. Good for you. Yes. Good for you. Yeah. Wow. So what you said, I had similar symptoms. So for several years, how far can you go back if you said Amy was in her early 20s when this happened? Yes. So Mm. when do you recall... You started noticing something going on with her. Was it when she was 16, 15? 
She had some gut issues, even as a little kid, just, um, you know, like constipation. But that's common with little kids. Sure. But you give them just a little extra gluten. That'll take care of it. Um, so we didn't pay attention to it. For me, when I connect the dots backwards, at 12 years old, which is about the onset of puberty for a girl, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, average girl, I started with severe migraine headaches. Oh. debilitating migraine headaches. So. That is absolutely an associated issue with celiac wow. disease. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea about I had that no, one. Who huh. would have? Yeah. I mean, and then when um, it continued through um, our marriage, our three kids being born, mm. and um, Rick, ta- my husband, taking me to the emergency room to get injections for the migraines after three days when I could not keep any food down. Oh, my goodness. They, so they got worse. The older wow. I got, they got worse. Well, what was getting worse was my my reaction to the... It's the it's this, apparently, it's the synapses in the brain also. The gluten affects the synapses in the brain. Mm. and But migraines are a common, common thing. And, and here's a fascinating thing. When I talk to people about that, how they can't... They, they just aren't, have to haven't wrapped their brain around the mind-body connection, the mind-gut connection. Yeah. So my, uh, the, I think everyone can understand this. You get butterflies in your stomach. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't start in your stomach. Sure. It started in an instant in your brain. Yeah. And that's how fast that goes from the, the gut to the... So it, it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. So it goes the other way. That probably has to do with the vagus nerve. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. Okay, and I'm aware of the vagus nerve, that master, mm-hmm. that master nerve. Yeah, it's kind of an upside down looking tree. The roots are in the brain, and then they come through the neck, and then they from there they go into the big branches to all the organs, and it also goes to inside the intestines. So you have these branches going in the intestines, and when you get stress in the brain, it can start rattling the uh, villi in the intestines and cause malabsorption and issues as well. There you go. Yeah, so, but it can affect the liver and the spleen and the stomach and the heart and lungs. And so what? the vagus nerve is uh, is not really part of your normal nervous system. It's its, its own system. Thank you for adding to my story. Yeah, I'll, you bet. I'll, I'll but, expand on um, on my butterfly in the stomach well, story. I, I, I like that uh, analogy on the butterflies. That's a great idea. I just don't know... Um, I mean, the vagus nerve is his own topic. You know, we can yeah. talk a really show on <laughs> okay. vagus nerve. Well, a lot that's of all I know written, about it. But it is just so interesting that uh, I think your your story, of not your story, your example is great. Let's look in the, the body-mind connection. And I think when indeed, when you look at vagus nerve, when something is rattling in the intestines, it works the other way around. So it starts affecting your brain you go what's going on with me and it affects you you become stressed in the head and you start worrying and you get anxiety and maybe depression because you have horrible bowel movements you're constipated diarrhea bloating gas you know you name it diverticulitis Crohn's colitis you start having symptoms but the, many of them can really be connected to an and disease, in this case, the uh, the gluten, the celiac disease. Yeah, and that, that's abs- absolutely true. So, yeah. yeah. So Amy had that, you had that, mm-hmm. so you had these horrible migraines. And then roughly, so you when you, you, you were married and had children and it was getting worse, and then they 
then you started started to coincide a little bit with uh, your daughter getting older and becoming a teenager and having problems. And then they said to you, well, you're probably going to menopause. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when we figured out that she was not anorexic or bulimic or a drug addict and I and menopause was just a another another um the sort of thing that uh, everybody go every women go through so then we had our path mm. we had our path toward navigating yeah we had our path to navigating our journey to live a healthy gluten-free lifestyle mm. well that brought more problems oh, because in, well first of all I want to say that it took about two years for the migraines to completely go away. Oh, and boy. I can say I haven't had a migraine. Wow. All these years later. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So Amy and I embark on this journey, mm-hmm. which brought along its own little issues because in 2005, the world was just discovering. Not really even, little by little, doctors didn't know what celiac disease was. Yeah. You know, it was, it was first discovered in 1949 in France. And that um, is a fascinating story that you can, anybody could Google about the banana babies. And that's when celiac disease was, was first discovered. So all those years later, little by little, people were being diagnosed kind of more often. It wasn't really until 2007 into 2008 that the first te- test was um, for the antibodies. And that was Alicia Fasano and, and Peter Green, Dr. Peter Green, both of those doctors who were involved in that. And then that was sort of a first line of um, diet to on the road to diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Well, Amy and I didn't need that. We already had our diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, kind of another story. But we started looking at products on the market, mainstream sort of products. Yeah. So mainstream gluten-free products in those days tasted like cardboard. Yeah. The um, bread was like a doorstop. And everything else was like kind of sawdust. I mean, it was... They were the manufacturers yeah. were figuring it out, but gluten is only found in wheat, rye, and barley yeah. on the entire planet. So we started looking at alternatives, grains. So that would be rice, corn, and then ultimately oats. Rice and corn. Rice is the number one ingredient in a gluten-free diet. We discovered very quickly. Okay, because it's cheap. Mm-hmm. Because it, um, it rice flour does really well in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and so that started showing up in a lot of manufactured products. Uh, corn would be second, same issue, very high glycemic, not as probably as bad as corn. I mean, as rice. And to put that in perspective, so if you're watching your carbs, about two and a half tablespoons of cooked rice equals thirty carbs. Wow. That's a lot of carbohydrates for wow. that little tiny yeah, bit of nutrients. So we started experimenting with then with baking because if gluten is only found in wheat, rye, and barley, mm. well, that should be pretty simple. Mm-hmm. All meats, all fruits and vegetables sure. are naturally gluten-free. Gluten-free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we started experimenting with recipes, and this was way before I met the folks here in, in Montana with the growing gluten-free oats. And we just kind of made our way. She gained weight. Mm. Me too, darn it. Roughly, <laughs> roughly. Yeah. yeah. She became a normal, she became normal size. She became healthy. No, roughly how long for her to, did you notice already a difference in Amy? 
Oh, I would say within gosh, a month you could pretty, tell. About we we look back on this and have realized it was really about three months with that she had really her her stomach, her gut was feeling good. Mm. Um, but this was another remarkable um, sort of a landmark crossroads thing. One day she called me and she said, Mom, you know, because she was also going to school at the yeah. time. Mom, you know what? I just feel like I'm thinking clearer. Mm, that's not a symptom. Mm-hmm. Brain fog. Yeah. Well, I said, what? Tell me more because... I thought it was menopause. My doctor told me I could blame everything yeah, on menopause. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, my brain fog was going away. Mm. So three months in, both of us were seeing the brain fog. And Lifted. Lifting. Mm-hmm. And that was, pretty, that was pretty dramatic. And that's when we both realized that also our the gut was feeling better. I was still having some headaches, but they just seemed to get a little bit farther apart. And yeah. like I said, and pretty soon... There were no headaches, so. Mm. Yeah. So did Amy have headaches uh, when she was menstruating no. at all? She never did. Mm-mm. So that was indeed, you had them, but you thought it was related to hormones until you found out it was related to the gluten. Wow. Correct. Hmm. Correct. Yeah. Now, in uh, some information I read about you, your mom had it also, you think. It was no official diagnosis, yeah. but... Your mom passed away from some kind of a blood disease. Idiopathic and- thrombocytopenia is a um, is a bleeding disorder, uh, and she died at sixty two. Yeah, and it was never diagnosed. Mm. We look back. So she probably had leaky gut or something like that, and had bleeding. Yeah, and liver liver yeah. issues, mm-hmm. serious liver issues. So my daughter and I both had this this, this um, book by Peter Green, yeah. the um, which is just pretty much labeled. Celiac disease, Celiac a hidden, disease. hidden <laughs> epidemic. And it, so this goes all the way back to about 2008 or nine when we first met him. Mm-hmm. And he signed the book for us and we talked about things. Well, he talks about my mother's, what just exactly what killed her. Is that right? Yep. Wow. In the book. Wow. But I didn't know that at the time when, when Amy and I got, we were just thrilled to have have the book and and start reading the book. And she called me and she she read it to me. I was like, mm. oh my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. And she had liver problems her entire life. She had um, other b- blood issues. And then the, the bleeding disorder is what killed her. Mm. Yeah. So I got into health food retail uh, back in January 94, right here in Bozeman. And I met this lady who came in the store and with her daughter and her grandson. And she mentioned to me that she was a celiac and that she discovered it herself. And her daughter had it and her grandson had it. And that was actually the first time when I found out about it. So it may have been 1994, 95, somewhere around there. And then she started the uh, Celiac Society of the Bozeman, Gallatin Valley area. She's been helping a lot of people. I would send people to her who had symptoms that I thought could be connected. And I let them make contact with each other. And then Jean would just ask a few questions. And then based on those questions, she said, trust me, you have celiac. And I would do this and this and this to uh, to get out of it. And then, so now we're talking even 10 years before you were diagnosed. 
So there was really not much available as far as food because I think that people were eating Ezekiel bread, which was sprouted wheat. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, once you sprout the wheat, you kill the gluten. <laughs> and that is not true. Oh. And, and so Gene already said, do not eat Ezekiel bread as a substitute. For her, it was really cardboard. You would have these tapioca loaves. Yes. Tapioca bread. Mm. And it was just, there was yeah. no flavor, nothing. You go like, you might as well just eat eggs and meat and fish and vegetables and, and fruit. And Jean, I met Jean through David Sands and, oh, yeah. and the, the, the folks um, at with, who were growing the gluten-free oats. Yeah. They introduced me to Jean. Yeah. And um, we actually went to an event together where we... We spent a day with Alicia Fasano, and who was also a very important part of. So the the that test the the DIGA and TTG, yeah, and those are the two genes. And if you want, we could yeah, we'll talk we about talk that more about that. because then people can take notes and say what exactly okay. did she say? Yeah. yeah. So Jean was an amazing lady and way ahead of her yeah. her time in understanding. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure she passed away, but I don't know. I never heard about it. I did, yeah. Away. Yeah. Yeah. Years now. Yeah. 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 What a wonderful lady and, and a feisty one, too. I mean, you could, oh, yeah. you could tell her, but you couldn't tell her much. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> she, I yeah. she told you what was going on. It was mm -hmm. wonderful. Wonderful energy. And I think that the celiac affected her gait. I think Glutenataxia. She walked, yeah. So glutenataxia is like when, as we talk about all these associated afflictions, you know. So yeah, as later in life, you remember she was walking with two canes and she, and then she was in a wheelchair yeah. and that was because of, she was not diagnosed till later in life. And so all of those secondary diseases kind of kicked in because, you know, as think about it, as we age, mm -hmm. our immune system ages too. You bet. It's interesting. I sometimes hear people say they're going to use their own stem cells for healing and i go yeah but you're 65 <laughs> you got 65 year old stem cells <laughs> kind of um, that ship has sailed <laughs> that ship has sailed well there's still things you can do yes of course so deb when you talk about celiac a gluten celiac disease gluten allergy intolerance the effect it has on the body i talk to people a lot and I often forget to ask them when they tell me symptoms, have you been diagnosed with celiac disease? And now I'm wondering, based on symptoms, could you help us out here? Give us some symptoms that have been researched now and have a direct connection with celiac disease. So as people are listening to the podcast, that they say, oh, my goodness, I haven't thought about this one. I didn't know. Now I really want to find out if I have celiac disease. Could you give us some examples? Absolutely. Because I think that as people are learning about most everyone's now heard of celiac disease mm -hmm. and, and people think that well it must that has to do with the gut it has to do with gluten so it must have to do with how you but it is a multi symptom multi system disease and it can ad just attack all kinds of things in the body and be associated with other 
autoimmune diseases, which we can talk about, but some things that, that people might not be thinking about. I mean, we touched on my migraine headaches, my daughter's just dramatic, horrible weight loss. We, we've talked about, like everybody thinks about, well, diarrhea, constipation, that sort of thing. Something that is a little more obscure is tooth enamel and the mm. damage to tooth enamel. And sometimes you can even see it in the baby teeth if the gene has turned on and the child is having any kind of other symptoms. Oh. But look at, but also it most certainly in, it's more prevalent in, in adult teeth. And as a, as a side note, this is so crazy. My husband's sister had, once we were diagnosed, we noticed that she had very similar symptoms well, she's not related to me at all, you right. know, but it's my husband's sister. And she didn't want to hear about it. Here's the thing. People that are diagnosed with celiac, they often think everybody's got it. <laughs> because yeah. you look back and you go, oh, have you been Have you been tested? Well, anyhow, so she was tested about five years ago when her anemia, she, she almost died. Mm. Multi-transfusions to kind of bring her back and her teeth had completely rotted away from malabsorption. No oh, she is wow. she has now had all of her teeth pulled. She's being mm. fitted for dentures. Mm. But I think that if I had been better at convincing her to get tested, you know, way back, then possibly she would avoid a, a lot of a lot of this. So the, and she um, did test positive then about five years ago, maybe uh, a little bit longer. Wow. And uh, and so she is a, a passionate advocate, just like we are now. Mm. So there is that um, delayed puberty again because of the the hormonal uh, um, kind of effects. Then um, fatigue is real common, and that makes sense because yeah. when you have malabsorption, you bet you don't have the energy. Yeah. So, but then oh, also. Attention deficit disorder. Hmm. And I've had over the years, and I've had people talk to me about, well, you know, um, my group of moms, what we all talk about that with about the uh, attention and all, and we're finding real success going on a gluten-free diet. Well, then they started really studying that. Hmm. And again, we go back to the synapse in the brain. Hmm. And I have a friend right now whose child has a, um, a seizure disorder. And one of the treatments is going gluten free. So, and there's other other things that they're doing, but they're seeing improvement. Yeah, so yeah. that's something that people don't just don't think about that. And those are, and of course the the iron deficiency anemia, which I just mentioned, almost killed my sister in law. Mm. So that's and so there. These are triggers now that when people are diagnosed with these sorts of issues, the doctors are thinking, oh, maybe we should test for celiac. Thank thank God. It's a blessing. But then you start testing, you're talking about baby teeth. Okay. So has the, the medical profession, the gastroenterologists, have they gone into testing younger ages now willingly, or is it still a battle to get them to test younger children? I don't think it's a battle. But I think there has to be some uh, some symptoms that are associated with it and that a, a, a parent can be just a huge advocate for their child. But certainly it's on the mind of gastroenterologists. I mean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But how many children have gastroenterologists? You've got to have some, yeah. some t- symptoms. So we have to educate pediatricians and family physicians. And I think more and more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's happening. Yeah. So are there, are there any other symptoms that you're, that pop right in your head that you say, hey, uh, 
this has to do with celiac disease or pay attention as you're listening to the podcast? Well, you know, there is anxiety and depression, but that that would be with the, the onset of of symptoms when you don't understand what's going on. And I think that for women, just speaking from myself, that brain fog, I think, leads to anxiety. Because when I was like just going beginning to go into menopause and that brain fog was getting so bad. And I thought, how bad could this get mm-hmm. that I'm, I can't sometimes put some thoughts together or whatever. So that was pretty traumatic and exciting when the brain fog lifted yeah. three months into my uh, gluten-free diet. The interesting thing is that when people have a thyroid disorder, oh, they yes. can have hair, hair loss, they can have insomnia, they can have apathy depression, anxiety, migraines, headaches. They can have dry skin, dry eyes, brittle nails. You got all these symptoms that deal with a low thyroid. Well, you notice those for people who have celiac disease. Yes. If you look at uh, women dealing with hormones, uh, they can have they can have anxiety and depression as PMS-like symptoms. They can have migraines, headaches. Uh, they can have insomnia, hair loss. There are so many overlapping symptoms. I understand that it, for the for the lay person, it becomes very confusing. And I think for a doctor, at times, based on how the medical modality is put together, like in your case, your doctor said, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that test for you." So the doctor almost is in charge when it comes to the medical modality. They say, we're not going to do this. Now, you can still find some kind of a lab or a clinic where you can get some testing done on your own, maybe pay out of pocket, but that may be more important than not being correctly diagnosed. And, I- and so, the, 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 sorry, real quick, the overlapping symptoms between a low thyroid, which can be connected with it, could be a symptom of celiac disease, but also the the, the, the hormonal imbalance during the menstrual cycle years are overlapping symptoms with celiac. So I can imagine that people are not jumping on, that probably a celiac disease. They may go after trying to get the hormones done and they go on the pill and the IUDs and all that stuff. Yes. And so... The, for thyroid, Hashimoto's, yeah. I have had so I many, that is absolutely related. And either diagnosis, they're they're looking at thyroid, and I'm so glad you brought that up, because I forget about that. So my daughter also mm-hmm. has low thyroid. Mm-hmm. And she, um, so now, she, she, I think she is, I think she is, I don't know if she's on medication right now for her thyroid, but pre-diagnosis, the, um, they didn't look at, the, nobody looked at her thyroid. She was like 22 years old, you mm-hmm. know, or yeah. something. They don't think that. They don't think that. And any other thing, and I'm, I'm not, it's not like I'm anti-mainstream medicine, but when my doctors and her doctors said, well, yeah, and by the way, there's a pill for that. Yeah. You know, that, um, okay, great, wonderful, but I've got my diagnosis, I've got my, my cure, May it not be for everybody, but it's for me. And I think now is a great time to mention that you have to have one of two genes to have celiac disease. Okay. So if you, a lot of people these days, they do some gene mapping and all. Okay. Okay. The, the look, look into ha- having 
the test for those two two genes. Mm -hmm. If you don't have one of two of those, you can have both of them, you can have one of them. If you don't have those, then you've got a different issue, which might just be gluten intolerance. But you have to have one of those two genes. Is this a blood test, a saliva test, is it a stool test? What What is it? So the gene test is a blood test. Blood test, okay. There are several companies on the market now that do send you like a finger stick to get a, to, to do gene. Take your blood. To take mm-hmm. your blood and send yeah. it in. So the, um, the, the two genes, so you have to have one of two genes mm-hmm. to get, have to have celiac disease. The, it's the, the HLA, so that's human leukocyte antigen, HLA. So these are proteins. They're found on the surface of almost every cell in the body. Mm-hmm. But they're particularly numerous on white blood cells, such as lymphocytes, which are you know, the immune cells. Yeah. The two genes that have been identified so far in the diagnosis of celiac disease are the HLA-DQ2 and HLA-DQ8. And 95% of patients with celiac disease will have one of the two genes. One of the two. So 98% is a pretty high number. So if, you, if there's celiac disease in your family, if there's, um, if someone, you know, you go, like I said, connect the dots backwards yeah. and look at all, oh, and rheumatoid arthritis, any of the autoimmune diseases, because they're all connected. Mm-hmm. So look at, look at that. And then if you're going to do some gene mapping or you want to know if you could possibly look farther, if you, if you possibly have to look farther into a diagnosis, do the, do the gene test. It's about so far insurance, I don't think pays for it. I think it's about $200. Okay. But, um, for both. Get for both. Oh, for you'd both. get for, you'd get for both. Yep. So when do you say now earlier, you mentioned that still the endoscopy and the colonoscopy are the surefire tests to see if you have celiac. Now you say you can do these uh, blood tests on the two genes, the HLA DQ2 and DQ8. So which one do you do? Do you do all of them? Okay. So you wouldn't do... Um, so the endoscopy and colonoscopy, those are, that's the gold standard for diagnosis. for diagnosis. But you couldn't do that without symptoms being present. Sure. So if you have a child with... ADHD or or any of the other those those other symptoms or or you're just curious or or mom or grandma had rheumatoid arthritis or some Hashimoto's or something else then the little finger stick that's going to tell you if you're going down the right road mm. if you don't have the DQ2 or DQ8 then forget about celiac disease and go look somewhere else okay. if you have one of those two genes you do. Start digging deeper, mm-hmm. early as early as possible. Yeah, and so celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. Absolutely. And uh, I heard it through this medical doctor, Amy Myers. You go to Myers, is M-Y-E-R-S. And Dr. Amy Myers uh, is the one that I heard from that once you have one autoimmune disease, usually you have others as well. So you could have rheumatoid arthritis, you could have MS, you could have uh, vitiligo where the skin has all these white patches or scleroderma or Lyme disease or cancer even. Anything that has that isn't that is considered an autoimmune disease, you will have some of that when you also have celiac disease. So that is why some of the symptoms, of celiac disease are overlapping with symptoms of, let's say, a Hashimoto's 
or Graves disease or yeah. chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or that people go like, yeah, well, I, maybe I have that too. Well, you probably do. You know, once you have one autoimmune disease, you can pretty much figure that you have more. Yeah, and I've heard that. And and also there we go, but go back to your our aging immune system. Yeah. The, the, the likelihood of seniors who are diagnosed later in life about 25% of all celiac diagnoses are made now with patients over the age of 60. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, but approximately 60% of cases still remain undetected because they don't have classic symptoms, but mm-hmm. they've got other issues. They've got other factors. Mm-hmm. So then a wise or forward-thinking doctor would say, well, let's just test you for celiac disease. Maybe that's associated you know, to your rheumatoid arthritis or various, various things. But I thought that those also are high percentages. So the earlier that you're diagnosed, you could avoid a lot of these other autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Because, because it seems like gluten is such a, such a major factor in the, you know, the onset of, or I'm going to say, undetected celiac disease seems to be such a major factor of these other autoimmune diseases kicking in. And again, I'm not a doctor, but I've just observed this so much. You read English, do you? I do. There you go. Yes. You can read a lot. <laughs> and let's face it, not every doctor is willing to go the route, to go that that on that path. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that uh, they right away understand what's going on. So I, I hear what you're saying, and I before the show, I always say we're not here to diagnose, treat, or cure, yeah. so that we can just talk freely and people take take it for what it is. Yeah, you know, thank that's you. What I feel you bet. And I also wanted to mention when we were talking about the villi, yeah. and this is this goes back again to diagnosis in, in seniors and the important, no matter what what age, however you identify as a senior, whatever age that is, yeah. the importance if there are any symptoms and and. The earlier diagnosis, the better. So the villi in a young immune system, like for my daughter, yeah. her villi recovered. And I've seen pictures. There are pictures in Dr. Green's book of villi, that, and it looks like, like I said, like Amy's, like a bowling ball. Mm-hmm. But then after you a certain amount of time on the gluten-free diet, those villi can perk up, get all perky, and start, start absorbing nutrients. It's going to be slower the older that immune system is, the older that gut is. I think I, this has become a new passion for me is to get, getting aging folks yeah, diagnosed. Yeah, maybe slow it down. Now, mm-hmm. the, the, you were t- mentioning earlier that Amy took about three months to start noticing that she started to reabsorb food again and of absorb food and, and started to put some weight on and strength and energy, etc. I've heard once that for every year that you have suffered, it will take about a month of healing. Oh. And roughly. Okay. So if you, that doesn't mean you don't notice an improvement in symptoms very quickly. But if I talk to people and said, I've had it for about 10 years, then I say, when you decide to go on this path of healing and some of the things that you can do for that, expect 10 to 15 months before you're 100% healed. So they say, well, that's a long time. I said, no, you may notice an improvement within the next week or two. But it doesn't mean you're healed. And so many people, when they are sick, they go through the healing process until they feel good enough to go out, right? But they're not healed, and so they get sick again. Huh. 
But if you actually, like in your case with you and Amy, you said, this is how our life is going to be from now on. Mm -hmm. And so you follow this path. But in her case specifically, and I don't know exactly how long for you, but you probably had it a long time. If you say, I go back now 12, till I was 12, mm -hmm. it probably would take 30 months for you, for 30, 40 months, yeah. to really notice that your body is recuperated. And I that's, roughly think so. And that, that's, that, that's a really good point. And I, um, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. So what I also learned... When I got involved with Celiac Disease Foundation and ultimately on the board of directors, and I learned so much. But from the beginning, just what we learned in that in the beginning from our gastroenterologist in California, we um, we made a one hundred percent lifetime commitment. Mm -hmm. It was great that we did it together, mm -hmm. but we made that commitment because you know what? You can't cheat. It's a hundred percent commitment, mm -hmm. or you're going to stop that clock. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter yeah, yeah, if I absolutely. have a saltine cracker or a or a, um, a a loaf of bread. Yes, it's going to attack my gut and set me back if I ever if mm -hmm. I do that. So I can say, what completely? I have never intentionally cheated. I have gotten sick when I get lazy. Oh, interesting. When I get and what I mean by sick is we call it you know being glutenized or being contaminated or. Um, and that that is when I just kind of get lazy and I think, oh, I'm I've been fine. I haven't had any kind of a we call it a hit. I haven't yeah. had a hit of gluten for so long yeah. that I'm but if you there are people that think, oh, I can have a little bit of gluten. If you are diagnosed with celiac, you cannot one hundred percent lifetime commitment. Where did the saying not even a crumb? come from was that your saying yes i made it up you made that up i made it up not because even a crumb not even a crumb i wanted to start a blog and i thought well you know i, I didn't want to call it deb wheaton's blog i wanted something kind of catchy yeah and um just like when i came up with the name for gluten-free prairie i woke up with that in my head one morning mm. not even a crumb mm. i thought this is hysterical my daughter-in-law is a graphic designer, and I asked her if she could, maybe she would make me a little logo. Mm -hmm. So she made this, uh, it's a slice of bread, yeah. and the X, it's a fork and a knife, an yeah, X, yeah, yeah. Through, and, then, and then it says not even a crumb. So I, so I was a blogger for, gosh, many years before we started Gluten-Free Prairie, and then I just, I started blogging on for that, and then my my blog on on our website is Little House on the Gluten Free Prairie. Mm, oh, that's good. I like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what roughly would you say? We were talking about symptoms earlier, and I think people get a good idea. You can look this up. What are some of the statistics that you are aware of that? are probably affecting our young people or the United States, people in the United States, number one. That's that's a question. Another question I want to throw in there, how often I hear from people when they go on vacation to Europe, they eat the bread in Italy and they have no problem. Let's talk about that first. Let's talk about that yeah. first. <laughs> okay. I hear that all the time too. Yeah. And I love that idea. I... I wouldn't take a chance because I wouldn't want to be sick if I was on a vacation to Italy. Yeah. But I hear it from people all the time. I would say, do you have gluten intolerance or do you have, do you truly have celiac disease? Because here's a fact. Why I'm so passionate also about oats. Mm -hmm. 
part of the reason is so oats have not been genetically modified. Mm-hmm. And oats grown in a, in a clean field mm-hmm. are naturally gluten-free. And then we've got all the other oat health benefits I talk about there. Yeah. But for in the, U, in the U.S., in many parts of the U.S., farmers are paid more for a higher gluten yield. Oh, so how do they do that? They, they, it, I don't know if they call it genetically modifying or if they just call it selection. Mm. And I heard this. I was at the state capitol, Helena, Montana, doing a uh, presentation with Department of Agriculture for our, for our products mm-hmm. and support of the, the oats, yeah. the, the oat industry. Yeah. And a, a celiac wheat farmer... Um, a lady probably in her late 30s, maybe early 40s, she walked up to me and in hushed tones, she leaned forward and told me that story. She said, we're paid more for a higher gluten. Now, maybe for a higher gluten yield in in their wheat fields. Maybe Mm. that is complete anomaly, one person. But I, I took that to heart and I thought, man, so in Italy, I have heard in Europe, there is a lower gluten, like lower gluten content, like with spelt or mm-hmm. other ancient grains. Mm-hmm. It still contains gluten, but it's much lower gluten. Ezekiel. 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 <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Apparently, is a, is a lower has lower gluten yield. Uh huh. But for me, for for true celiacs, I I don't know. But somebody else test it when you're on vacation in Italy because yeah. But I heard. But also, talking about, talking about Italy a little bit, and that's where Alicia Fasano is from. In Italy, every school-aged child is tested for celiac. How about no that? Way. Yep. Huh. And then when we so I'm, we think that's about real. I know. Hmm. That's a, it. So there's a statistic for you. In Finland, um, it's like eighty per, or ninety percent of the population test positive for celiac disease. My daughter was in Finland on a work deal and she said, oh my goodness, it is so easy to be gluten-free in Finland. Every every restaurant caters to a gluten-free diet. And, and I thought, well, that is fantastic. Yeah. So, so Italy and Finland are, are a little bit ahead of, uh, of the United States. However, as you know, it's getting easier and easier all the time. It is. However, <laughs> just because people are not eating gluten, it doesn't mean that, like my daughter, for example, is also allergic to tapioca flour. Oh, and no. so then a lot of gluten, a lot of gluten-free breads mm-hmm. have tapioca flour or rice flour in it. So the glycemic index is higher, but you can have other allergies. And I don't know why it is lately. I just hear more people saying the gluten-free breads are so complex they have so much other stuff in it that either your your sugar goes way up, mm-hmm. which is indeed with the oats, it's not the case, it's low glycemic and high protein, whereas the other one, it's really made to not taste like cardboard. Yes. So you, they do whatever okay, to so put the, in there to make it tasty. I did not know about the, that tapioca yeah. allergy. Um, but I And I'm so clear, of course we are, by the FDA requirements that we call it every in, ingredient, but... As we discussed earlier, the number one ingredient in a gluten-free diet is rice. That still remains in almost all manufactured gluten-free breads. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's going to spike um, spike the glycemic index. Yes. However, the other additives, and I don't use any of them, are xanthan gum, 
Oh, yeah. Guar gum. Yeah, she is allergic to those. Yes. Uh So I know that there are some good xanthan gums. However, my research, a lot of xanthan gum is a genetically modified derivative of corn or some other, Mm. but uh, but much of it. And the idea of that genetically modified and then they ferment it or something so and that helps to create loft and a better mouthfeel oh, with the okay. breads all right so if that's what you're looking for and you you know a lot of people don't have an issue with it yeah. um i can pick it up a little bit on the tongue but my son who is not celiac mm-hmm. and does not have the genes he cannot tolerate any xanthan gum so, I mean, so, you know, it's just another thing to look at, but it is in so many gluten-free products. It is, because you, you don't use, uh, you know, some of the leveling uh, from the, the sourdough or whatever. I have uh, a tip for that. Yeah, please. So, obviously, I love to cook and bake and yeah. all that, and I've done a lot of experimenting before I release my recipes, or I come out with a new mix or a new product or whatever. And, and you're involved in this. I am? Yes, you are. My, oh, yeah, I know what it is. <laughs> yes, you do. So when I started, um, my, my customers really started to want to have a little loft in their brownie yeah. or a little this or that. So I started using, in, I, I've never used xanthan gums because of making my son sick sure. and because I don't like the idea behind it. But I started using pharmaceutical grade psyllium husk, psyllium which husks. you yeah. kindly will allow me to buy in bulk yeah. through you. Wholesale. We, wholesale, <laughs> yes. My hero. Um, that is what's in my all-purpose flour blend, <clears throat> which is at the heart of all of my mixes. And not that this is a commercial for that, for, no, for my but business. Hey, but people who listen to this who have celiac disease, <laughs> they may pick up little pointers that they haven't tried yet and that yep. may be very safe for them. Yeah. So, so psyllium husk, pure, and I'm going to say it again, though, we're not talking Metamucil. No. We're talking pure pharmaceutical grade psyllium husk. But you use the husks, not the powder. Yes. Yeah, okay. I've, I've used the powder. I, I can use the powder Okay. if that's all I can get. I prefer the husk. Be, um, it, it just pre- performs a little better. With yeah. the oat, with the oat flour, so it makes it little, it leavens it a little bit more. Gives you a little more loft. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I'll sacrifice, you know, a, that gigantic bit of loft that I would get with some of the gums and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll sacrifice that to have a little less loft, a healthier product, and I get a little bit more by adding pure fiber. Well, how many of us? Could use a little more fiber in our mm-hmm. diet. You bet. So, but it's got to be pure, pure pharmaceutical mm-hmm. grade. Mm-hmm. What makes it pharmaceutical grade? I don't even know. You say pure pharmaceutical grade, yeah. psyllium husk. Okay, interesting. So I don't know that like laxatives on the market that have psyllium husk, I don't know if those are actually like pharmaceutical grade. So that's, I see. So that's why, and that's why we make sure that we get it from you through a re- very reliable yeah. company. Yeah, interesting. I sometimes wonder if... Celiac in the United States, when you mention Italy and Finland, is it that they have, dis- you said it was discovered in France in 1949. Is that why Europe is a little ahead of us when it comes to dealing with celiac? Because when I visit family in the Netherlands, they never talk about celiac. They just eat gluten. They have no problem with it. And I don't hear them say anything about celiac. Do you feel that 
the way it is being approached in the United States right now, and there is indeed the Celiac Foundation, right? That we're more aggressive in helping people and young people, young children with it, or do you feel it's more more active in Europe? That's a really interesting question. I know that Peter Green has a, a whole section of his book about the origin of celiac disease. And so this might help. I can't really answer that. I know that your Northern European countries have more of an incidence of a celiac disease mm. because they are older humans on the planet because they've oh. been on the their their genes are older. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. and so what's behind that is so apparently when we came out of caves and there's a great documentary called How Beer Saved the World. How beer? How beer saved beer, the world. Like alcoholic beer. Alcoholic beer. beer. Oh, it yeah. is and it's so much fun but what it talks about and and this plays right into about you know cavemen coming out of caves so at that point they're hunter gatherers. Yeah. They're not farming or, or, or they're hunters. Yeah. So the men are going out and they're bringing back um, a mammoth. A mammoth. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Sable tooth. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, but when they started to, and, and I have a thing on my website about why oats are, are paleo. Mm. And I go back into the research of when we came out of caves. So at that time, our gut did not recognize wheat because we didn't have any wheat. Mm. There's no wheat. There's only that saber-toothed tiger in there yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But then they started cultivating some um, grasses. And the phylum, is it? That's the, whatever they call that, you mm. know, scientifically, of, is, is Avena. Avena is... Avena the, is oats. It's oats. Avena and sativa. The, well, Avena sativa is our oats. But the wild oat, the ancient wild oat that the cavemen started, when they started, like... They weren't just hunter-gathering. They were coming out of caves and going back into caves. So they started kind of cultivating this wild oat. Mm. And that was the first the first grain, but there wasn't any wheat at that point. Mm. So that means that later on, as I guess as we're, um, and he goes into this more in the book, but when we are, we're sort of evolving and our, um, our gut is evolving and all that, it didn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. So... If we have those genes, so my caveman genes yeah, have yeah, contributed yeah. to um, to me, of course. Makes mm. sense, doesn't it? Does it make sense? Yeah, okay. I, I can follow the, the logic. Okay. Uh, it works for me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So buckwheat, funny yeah. name. Gluten-free. Gluten-free. Yeah. Yeah, buckwheat. And it is a heavier grain. I mean, if you look at buckwheat and you cook it and you eat it in the wintertime, it's a good winter dish. Mm-hmm. That would be an option. It seems to me that it's low glycemic. But you I don't do it, know much about buckwheat. Yeah, but yeah. you work with oats, and you have these people who really make gorgeous, I mean, beautiful oats, and then you turn it into product. The gluten-free prayer, yeah, you have, tell me some of the products that you have, you are working on, on and that you already make at this point, and is there anything down the pipeline that you're working on. So I'm, I'm always dreaming of a new product to add to our line, and my family is saying, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so um, we started out with the Hunger Busters. And, the Hunger, uh, Hunger Buster is a cookie. Yeah, yeah that's a cookie. That's really and, good. And that's oatmeal, peanut butter, chocolate chips, and raisins. And because oats are naturally gluten-free, and these are all, all of the products are naturally gluten-free. All, mm-hmm. every single thing that's in any of my products, it's things that 
are fine for everyone. You bet. So that everyone can enjoy. Yeah. So from the so we started with um, with the oats. So we sell the oats and the oat flour. We just and there's minimal processing in all of this. So it's interesting about oats. Oats that are, have hulls, mm-hmm. and like any every every grain has a groat. Yeah. And has a hull. Yeah. So the when they the oats come out of the field, there's an oxidation process that starts. And there's an enzyme that's released called lipase. Mm-hmm. It's not harmful to humans, but it has a little zingy taste on the tongue. Mm. So once the, those oats are heat treated, soaked or steamed, to stop that stops the oxidation process. Mm. Then the oats are dried, and then they can be rolled into into oatmeal. Mm. You yeah. know, we use we have only two growers, and they um, there's no soaking or steaming, and the one is, is heat treated. And then the uh, the other one that's grown right here, mm. that is a hullless oat. So there's no hull. Mm. Because there's no hull and there's no hull to remove, there's no oxidation. There's We don't have an issue with lipase. That is called, that's our groat. And that's the, the whole seed yeah. that's in every grain. So our groat, and it's tiny, and this was developed at MSU with Dr. David Sands. Yeah. And um, with that, that groat, it's raw. Mm. So it's also sproutable. Mm. It makes a tiny sprout. I don't want people to think it's an alfalfa sprout because it's not. Doesn't grow that hard. No, yeah. it's a tiny little, little, very delicate sprout. Mm-hmm. Best best way to sprout it is between a couple of paper towels. Oh, so but it's still a live food. So if you're interested in a live food, I would say try sprouting the groats. Mm. Otherwise, that groat, and that is the it's the only groat that we sell. Yeah. It's um it is a perfect substitute for a brown or ri- white rice. Oh. Brown or wild rice, actually. Yeah. Brown or wild rice. So just rice. cook it like that. I cook it in a rice cooker. I cooked it before I left today because yeah. I'm adding it to my soup tonight. My, mm-hmm. I have a big brothy soup waiting, yeah. and I cooked my groats in a rice cooker with just water. Okay. No salt, no oil, nothing. Mm. I'll just scoop it into my soup. Okay, and then season it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so that's... That's so interesting, that because lipase... I thought it was a pancreatic enzyme that helps to break down fats. Interesting. Amylase is an is an enzyme in the pancreas that helps to break down carbohydrates into simple sugars. So it's interesting that you bring up lipase and need to do some research. What that, yeah, what that I hope I'm calling it by the right name. <laughs> I, I hope so too. Yeah, but it is, I'll tell you, it is an enzyme. Yeah, it is it's, an enzyme. Yeah. yeah. Anything so it with is, ACE. So when I yeah the A's. Yeah. So when I when I realized that and started experimenting with that and man I'll I can use that in meatballs and oh, all of the okay. so and uh, my mother used to make um, porcupine meatballs. Mm-hmm. So I do that with the groats okay. and then I'll make a huckleberry sauce with our local huckleberries. You know mm-hmm. here in Montana we're known for the huckleberries, and so I don't feel like you need to be feel feel like you're being deprived of anything. I agree with you. With a gluten, thank you. I agree with yeah. you totally. Experiment, yeah. find find a source of of whatever it is that you're going to experiment with. Whether it's um, there's almond flour, true, and I use some of that in some of my mixes. Uh-huh. But um, but like I said, no rice, no corn, no xanthanum. So things that we don't need, mm-hmm. and that have just been typically used because they're they're so easily naturally gluten free. Oh, yeah. can I mention about oats and glu- how oats can be gluten free? How oats can be gluten-free? Yeah. Let me mention that because um, 
a lot of people, then there's been a lot of controversy. They think uh, it's cross-contamination with a wheat field. And that is that is true. Yeah. The most common cause of an, of an oat not being gluten-free is because it's been contaminated. Because people consider it to be a grain, the fields are often rotated with wheat or rye or barley. Okay. So to be make a purity protocol claim, which is what we do at Gluten-Free Prairie, that, that means that the fields have been clean of any gluten-containing grain for a minimum of five years, or many more years than hmm. that now. How do you do that? They Oh, they rotate the crops with sunflowers oh, or okay. peas okay. or something else that is not, and they might even use corn, but a lot of times it's, um, it's other crops that are naturally gluten-free. Mm. So then the, uh, the FDA tells us we can make a gluten-free claim if you test at 20 parts or below. Okay. Canada is 10 parts. Okay. So 20 parts or below. 20 ex- parts for what? 20 parts per million of gluten, which is a tiny few grains in a big bucket. That's a tiny bit. Okay. But, but it will show up in it, what's called the ELISA R5 test. Okay. That is a yeah, test I that we use that to, detect, mm-hmm. to detect gluten. So um, our products test at five parts or below, which is basically imperceptible. Correct. Which, um, which I'm thrilled about because my daughter and I actually react to below 20, a little below 20 wow, parts. Wow, wow. And well, a lot, yeah, a lot of people do. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. I think indeed that when you mention symptoms and we look at ADHD, I think that a lot of young people are more have at least some kind of an irrit- irritation to gluten and they are not being diagnosed. And then there are those who will have celiac disease as well. But ADHD, it is such a confusing thing, not for me, really. But you often, yeah, we don't know, can we diagnose it? Is it, uh, you know, who, who diagnosed? Or the the lunch lady, the lunch lady said the boy was a little wild in the canteen or something. <laughs> and I think that the effect that the gluten can have on their brain as well as the amount of sugars that kids eat oh, to feed the brain yes. in their soft drinks, or even if they're healthy soft drinks, there are still sugar in them, mm-hmm. that it just affects children. They have a tendency then to drink a lot and eat the the quicker food so that they can go play outside with their friends. Mm-hmm. And they're not really eating anything that gives them sustenance. So they have the desire to run outside and play. Right? That it's recess. Or let's sit go in front play. of their computer. No, but let's play. say they go okay. to school. They go <laughs> yes. to school and then mm-hmm. they, they've been sitting in the class and they're ready for eat. The brain needs to be fed something because the brain is just paying attention and burning through sugars. So they want something. And when they have that lunch break, they go and eat something, anything that gets that sugar right back into the brain, which could be a pizza steak or it could be some cheese or bread or chips and and and. and whatever food they feed and then they want to go outside because they're ready to go play i gotta get release that energy i've been sitting down i gotta play 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 and so they're eating on the go primarily carbohydrate rich foods then they have the recess they run and they're totally focused on not getting tagged or (laughs) play the soccer game or whatever they're doing now they go back inside and they all fall asleep Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they haven't eaten enough. They have that crash. And the brain is like, oh. Yeah. yeah. And so then if they act that out, it can often be considered as a form of uh, attention deficit disorder. And I think it, a lot of it, most of it, in my opinion, has to do with diet. 
That would be another topic of discussion mm-hmm. at some point. But ADHD in children, I'm not surprised if there is a big gluten factor uh, playing in this. And so when we we talk about ADHD and we think, well, not all of those kids could be celiac. Right. Absolutely right. However, here's the, the absolute truth, too, is that no, no matter where your tolerance falls for gluten, right, no human on the planet can totally digest the gluten molecule. The difference is that if you don't react to it, if genetically you're not predisposed to have that, you know, that autoimmune component, yeah. Yeah. your body takes the great nutrients from wheat. There's some great nutrients or in gluten mm-hmm. and all the gluten containing grains takes those fabulous nutrients and passes the rest through. I see. My small intestine doesn't do that. It goes crazy. You know, it, it, it sees the gluten and, and reacts to that. So a lot of these kids, maybe it's gluten intolerance, but find out because the uh, treatment is the same, a gluten-free diet. So maybe it's not celiac, but it's gluten intolerance. Yeah. But because um, gluten intolerance can also s- still cause some of that. The, Brain fog. The, and, the, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Interesting. Quick story. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's about 10, 12 years ago and didn't do a whole lot about it. I'm not on medication. And I decided to, with the help of a nutrition friend, to go gluten-free. She said, you know, all the research shows you might as well go gluten-free because you have an autoimmune disease. So I went gluten-free for about eight years. And now and then I may have... Uh, a crouton on a salad or a, a slice of pizza or something, but all gluten-free bread, and that was it. And I I feel good, but I thought, can I feel better? So I decided to do a, a food allergy test, and I went back to her, and I said, what can we do? What kind of test can we do to see what's going on with me? Maybe I'm eating food. I'm not doing gluten, but let's see if I there's anything else I may be allergic to. So she said there was three tests. So one was a gluten test. And it tests me for, I think there are 15 or 20 different gluten tests that you can do. One, how gluten affect the colon, how or small intestine and the brain and the skin and, and, and your eyes and your brain and all that stuff. There's a way to test all this. So I did that. Then the other one was foods that cause leaky gut in me. And then the third one was a test that tests to find out what foods am I actually allergic to. Okay. So in order to do that test, I needed to eat, I could eat anything for, for eight weeks. So I ate gluten, slice of bread, two slices of bread a day. I had some whiskey, I had some beer, I had milk, I had yogurt, I eat vegetables and I ate anything for eight weeks. So now I do the test and I go, I hope I'm not allergic to eggs and coffee because <laughs> I like those and I'm probably I'm allergic. So the test comes back and we're sitting down and so on the test, there is a green column that says you have absolutely no allergy. There's a yellow column that says you have some irritation, but no allergy. And then there was a red column and it says if you, you know, if the arrow goes into that, then you got an, you got an allergy. Funny thing was that gluten, after eating it for eight weeks, everything was in the green. Wow. Everything. Yeah. And she said, I cannot believe this. 
and I'm not allergic to coffee or eggs. So that was good. <laughs> but it's so interesting that when I went gluten-free, my antibodies for Hashimoto's definitely came down. Yes. They were about 560 when I started. After four months gluten-free, they went down to about 175. And after a full year of gluten-free, they were down to about uh, 80 or so, 70. So they were still slightly elevated, but definitely more under control. I don't remember that I felt any different. I, I still have my hair. I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. I'm active. I don't need to sleep a whole lot. I sleep like six hours a night. And so there was like a lot of things that I didn't notice. I do get cold hands and feet uh, easily in the winter or when the weather is a little cooler. But for the rest, not really many symptoms. And so I thought, wow, this is really interesting. So here I'm doing this test. Now I find out I have no gluten allergies. Actually, the only allergy I had, the only one is hazelnuts. And then uh, white rice flour, which is huh. this, not an allergy, but an irritation. Yeah. And I go, a lot of vitamins have white rice flour as a filler. Mm -hmm. So I've got to stay off those. Interesting that all the gluten were in the green. That is interesting. It is, isn't it? But yay. And have, it, but without gluten, my antibodies came down. So how do you explain that? That means genetically, I'm a much older soul than you. I think so too. You were, yeah, because it was so easy for you to tell that cave story. Right. That's I go what I'm like, saying. well, she's been done, done I, that. I know. I know. So <laughs> that, no, that's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. And that, for me, your story brings up three quick things Good. for me. Go for it. Um, the one thing that I, I failed to mention, we were talking about other symptoms that you might pay attention to, or, you know, they're kind of obscure peripheral neuropathy, which I also had, and that's common in, in and I, who knew I had no clue, um, which is where your fingers, uh, Jean had this as well, yeah. where your fingers kind of get like kind of numb and prickly. Yeah. And, uh, when I'm, I didn't even mention that even after diagnosis and cause I didn't, I didn't know. It often is a symptom of diabetes. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that to Dr. Green and he said, and then it's in, of course it's in his book and he told me that and I, um, mine has almost totally gone away. It's taken years though, Yeah. but it was you. never debilitating. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It was mm -hmm. never debilitating, but it, that is just something to mention. You also mentioned that you had a little whiskey. Well, that's fine because all distilled spirits are naturally gluten-free. Distillation is the only process that deactivates, kills whatever, the gluten molecule. Mm. So um, that's why beer is not gluten-free, because Correct. it's not distilled. Yeah. So all... So, um, so vodka, va gin, uh, yeah. uh, tequila, whiskey, yeah. So at, at, uh, at the foundation, we just kind of laugh. People will donate a lot of money, and they'll get like the little celiac... Uh, I've got it on my products, because yeah. um, yeah. I support them, you know, because they wanted to ha have gluten-free vodka and yeah. gluten-free gin. And we just kind of laugh because unless they have added some sort of gluten-containing flavor after fermentation, I mean, I'm sorry, not from distillation. Mm -hmm. That word is distillation. Distilled, distillation. All distilled spirits are gluten-free. So um, have your whiskey, but not now. Oh, <laughs> wait a couple minutes. <laughs> the other thing that I, uh, I wanted to mention, you had mentioned dry eyes and dry mouth. I had that one too. Uh -huh. It's Shrogan's. Shrogans. 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 S-J-O-G-R-A-N-S. Yes. 
ENS and then mm-hmm. a little two dots on the O. Sjögren's disease. Yeah. Yes. Dry muc- the mucous membranes become very dry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That um, has been a lot. I I live with with some of that, but it's just been real stubborn for all of that. But you oh. know what I. I drink water and I use moisturizing eye drops. I don't have a horrible, some people have a real horrible time with that. Mm -hmm. So while we talk about all those other things, so people will go down that list that I've mentioned or you've mentioned and think, oh my gosh, I might, I might have celiac disease, so I better go gluten-free. Let me say no. Going gluten-free for, if you, if you think you want to self-diagnose that way, Mm -hmm. after about three weeks, of, of a, a really a 100% gluten-free diet, the antibodies will start to subside. And often in the blood test, the, the t, there's a TTG or, TTG or IgA blood test, which identify the antibodies, you know, the spike in antibodies. Mm-hmm. If those settle down, you will get a false negative. So it's recommended that if you think you have any, or you do have any of these other issues going on that we've mentioned, and there's a lot more on at the foundation's website, get tested either either by the gold standard testing or by by the gene testing, or talk to your doctor about antibody testing. Yeah. Do that before you go gluten free. Okay, good point. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, especially in children, parents will put their kids on a gluten free diet, thinking that that the, the They'll see. They'll see how they do. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go to their doctor and say, well, this is what was going on, and, and, and now it's better, so let's have a test. And the doctor will say, you need to do the gluten challenge, okay, which is like three weeks or so, two or three weeks of eating a lot of gluten, so just like you, yeah. so you could see if the antibodies, where the antibodies are. I if see. The, well, don't do that to a kid. No. No, <laughs> no, no. That's true. Yeah. It's a it's a battle. I'm so glad that you're giving us some ideas here that we need to pay attention to. One of the things that has come up, but we haven't talked much about it, is the Celiac Foundation, the Celiac Disease Foundation. Tell us a little bit. You are in on the board. No longer. No longer. No. Okay. I um I was on the board. I was very involved. You were the only oat producing or food producing. Food, yes. At the time that I joined the board of directors, I was starting my business, mm-hmm. and I was the only food manufacturer yeah. to be on the board, to ever be on the board. And so now, I don't know, I'm, I'm no, no longer on the board. I could not do that and run run the business. And, no, and But I'm, so, I'm still involved with, I still love to hear what's going on. I love to hear about the research, what I, which I would like to, to mention that to what's, what's new and upcoming. But uh, when I was on the board, I was the only man, food manufacturer. Hmm. So... So is it a nationwide organization? Is it worldwide? What What's going on? It's nationwide, and I was mm-hmm. on the national board. Mm-hmm. There are smaller groups like Jean's. Yeah, Jean, you know, Jean had, a, had a little group. Yeah, yeah. but the silly, and those are support groups. I would but, say that's great, great to have. Absolutely. Does it still exist? Um, somewhat. There aren't as quite as many support groups, I think, because of the Internet, mm-hmm. that the, the um, information is just so out there. You know, it's so prevalent and easy to find. But it is a national foundation, and they're very involved nationally and worldwide mm-hmm. with raising awareness. Mm-hmm. So um, as we speak about that, I'll mention that there are two drugs that are currently in second-level clinical trials, as I understand it. One, and I, I am 
absolutely not anywhere near up to speed on all this because I have my cure. I'm blessed to be 100% symptom-free on a a gluten-free diet, you know. But like I said, some people, they still have symptoms for some reason. And they're, so there are two drugs and the names of those drugs you can find on the Celiac Disease Foundation website, they are always looking for volunteers to participate in the studies. One study, as I understand it, is to turn off the gene, whatever, you know, your, whatever. However that works. Whatever, however that works. And the second one is to coat the gluten if a celiac gets unintentionally contaminated, you know. So those are the two. There are products on the market. They're called gluten ease or enzymes that so-called you can take when you eat gluten. And I tell people, <laughs> you don't do that and then go eat gluten. It is more that if you think you may have been exposed to gluten and you shouldn't have had them, then have that enzyme that helps to alleviate some of the symptoms. I'm not saying it goes all away, depending on your own condition. But am I correct in that statement? Or do people, because there are those, the same with lactose. They say, oh, yeah, I take one of those lactose enzymes and I can drink milk. They go like, yeah, but you, in your case, you shouldn't drink milk. Just do something different. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that almond milk or coconut milk or even oat milk or rice milk is all that great because of what they have to do in order to make it palatable. But, and the um, sugar, added and sugar, the sugar and stuff, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I I know that there are those products out there mm-hmm. that are supposed to ease the symptoms or alleviate the alleviate the symptoms, and just like you, I would say, don't even don't even risk don't go it. there. No, don't. It, they have not been um, they've not been FDA approved, is my understanding, that at least not for celiac disease, and I think it says it right on the packaging. Yeah. That it's not approved for celiac. So oh, that's, says that. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because that, all vitamins will say not FDA approved. Yeah. You know, that's that's standard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not like FDA approved, but they say the FDA, this is not endorsed by the MB, uh, FDA or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Maybe that's good for some people. I mean, maybe it just helps with their digestion or whatever, but it's not a treatment or a, a cure for, for, cross, for getting contaminated. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, when we talked about the symptoms earlier, that is a great help for people that they need to look into symptoms, recognize themselves. In your case, of not in your case, but what you just mentioned a few minutes ago is don't stop eating gluten first. First, get the correct diagnosing. Then you have the diagnosis. You know exactly are you irritated by gluten or are you a celiac disease? Mm-hmm. Then make the decisions that you need to make. Yes. And so these Find tests would be that would be the blood test for the two genes, the HLA DQ2 gene and the HLA DQ8 gene. You need to have at least one of them. The HLA stands for human leukocyte antigen, right? And then, then there may be some drugs. If you go to the foundation website, there could be some drugs that could work for you as well but that would be and then you said you also have to do an endoscopy and a colonoscopy if if symptoms are present and um, that is the gold standard for diagnosis yeah so So there's a little bit of work to do for people if they have symptoms that remind them of celiac disease they better get these kind of tests out of the way blood test and digestive tract scoping Mm -hmm. what's really wonderful is that 
the Celiac Disease Foundation has done the heavy lifting for you. Yeah. If you want to, I wouldn't believe most of what I read on the internet. Be really careful. Somebody called it. Somebody said, I'm going on the internet to see if I have internet cancer. Because because oh. when you read those medical websites, you know. You bet. Yeah. But the um, the information there that's there is accurate. Mm-hmm. I've done the heavy lifting, I believe, in helping people to get, uh, I hope, in raising awareness a little bit, maybe helping them to get onto a, a, a healthy path toward a healthy, simple simple gluten-free diet becomes second nature. There was one other thing. If this hasn't been confusing enough with such a, all this, this brain dump of information, you can have one or two genes, right? Yes. And that gene might not ever turn on during your entire life. So just because you have the genes that like, like if a parent does gene mapping for their, their child and, and, um, you know, testing core blood, whatever, then you have an awareness because a baby, a tiny brand new baby sure. cannot have celiac disease. They haven't, they haven't ingested gluten. Oh, I see. I oh my see. gosh. Yes. I, I surprised the expert there. Yeah. I surprised. No, no, you're yeah. the expert. <laughs> no, but, um, no, but um, it makes total sense. They haven't total, had it yet. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why Dr. Fasano, when our grandson was born and he said, I told you Amy was in the nursing baby study um, and they did prove that... Um, breast milk, the gluten molecules too big. So if a mom is not, is not, is, is eating gluten or whatever. And anyway, there, there was a need to know that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't go through the breast milk. Mm-hmm. But he said, that's how we knew that, that he had, that the grandson had one of the genes, one of the two of the genes. And he said, don't make him be gluten-free. So don't make him be don't, gluten-free. Don't, don't put that on him. Nothing separates kids like food. Kids mm-hmm. get into school, they want to share a sandwich. Yeah. Kids go to a birthday party, they want to have yeah. cake. Yeah. So you watch him. Watch him. He's 11 now. Watch him for symptoms. He is so aware of her that, of course, he wouldn't. He has, he has shown no symptoms at all. They are completely gluten-free at home, and so mm-hmm. is her husband. Yeah. But they do not. He is allowed to go to birthday parties. He's allowed, and they just watch him. He's had no symptoms. But he knows he doesn't touch a water bottle she's had he won't kiss her or anything until and he is so on top of it That's so sweet it is so sweet mm-hmm. but dr Fersana was completely right if you know that your child has one of those genes because you've looked into it watch for symptoms let them let grow them live up their life and live their life and if that gene never turns on yeah wonderful if some symptoms start showing up then you they should know my mom and dad had my the blood tested, and I do have one of these genes. Mm-hmm. Then you're going down that that road to to check. Mm. All right, that was a lot of great information. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we got a lot of ground covered here, Deb. I really appreciate it. The symptoms, tests, your story what you have learned from the Celiac Foundation, which is to me definitely something that people should uh, check the Celiac Disease Foundation. And and also when you are browsing, go to the glutenfreeprairie.com. See some beautiful pictures of the farmland where Deb and Rick live and the work that they're doing and some products. And if you are somewhere out in the country and you go to a place and say, hey, have you heard of the glutenfree prairie? You know, maybe they can start carrying the product. The Hunger Buster cookies are definitely wonderful, a great snack. They really 
they're like a meal replacement, and then you have the groats and you got the flour and all and the, the mixes, mixes. Yeah, yeah, the brownie mix. And now is you know really here good. in Montana and Montana and Wyoming and a little into Utah, we have the fresh pizza dough. Oh, wonderful! Fresh too. pizza dough ball. Isn't that amazing? And then we we do sell the mix mm-hmm. on also online, and it's easy to get. But well, I I, yeah. I want to say I want to compliment you again. It's one thing that there's a product out that not only looks great and also tastes great and does what it is supposed to do to make it attractive for people to try. It's not a cardboard, so <laughs> to say, right? But to get to that point, the process, the experimentation that you have had to go through in your own kitchen, trying <laughs> to say, how much of this, how much of that do I need in order to get exactly what I want and then consistently make that. That is a... That is something that many people don't think about. You just see an end product and you don't know the work, the homework that was put into that to get to that point. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. You know, I'll selfishly say that um, my daughter and I, and then my son has helped with the recipe development as well. But, you know, we have done this selfishly for ourselves. I am my own best customer. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) But it is what it takes. You're passionate about it and it shows. So it's in the product. So congratulations on that. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Deb. Um, I, I want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in today and listening to this program. Hopefully, you will listen to more episodes that you can find here on my website. Uh, well, maybe some of you are just listening to the podcast, but I have a website, healthinfocusnow.com, and read some articles and find more podcasts. So, Maybe sign up for the email so that we can send you when there is a new podcast coming out and on article. We just sent you a quick email with a link to it. What's and the email? The email is Jacobus, J-A-C-O-B-U-S, at healthinfocusnow.com. Thanks, Deb. Appreciate that little... Absolutely. <laughs> Shows that you've done radio before. All right. Folks, we'll be back for another episode. Please tune into that one as well. Thanks for listening today.